What did you do? What could I? I saw Lady Carwitchet, who laughed at me and defied me to make her confess or disgorge. I took the pendant to more than one eminent jeweller on pretense of having the setting seen to, and all have examined and admired without giving a hint of there being anything wrong. I allowed a celebrated mineralogist to see it. He gave no sign. Perhaps they are right and we are wrong. No, no, listen. I heard of an old Dutchman celebrated for his imitations. I went to him and he told me at once that he had been allowed by Montanaro to copy the Valdez setting and all for the Paris exhibition. I showed him this and he claimed it for his own work at once and pointed out his private mark upon it. You must take your magnifier to find it, a Greek beta. He also told me that he had sold it to Lady Carwitchet more than a year ago. It is a terrible position. It is. My co-trustee died lately. I have never dared to have another appointed. I am bound to hand over the sapphire to my daughter on her marriage if her husband consents to take the name of Montanaro. The bishop's face was ghastly pale and the moisture started on his brow. I racked my brain for some word of comfort. Miss Panton may never marry. But she will, he shouted. That is the blow that has been dealt me today. My chaplain, actually, my chaplain, tells me that he is going out as a temperance missionary to equatorial Africa and has the assurance to add that he believes my daughter is not indisposed to accompany him. His consummating wrath acted as a momentary stimulant. He sat upright, his eyes flashing and his brow thunderous. I felt for that chaplain. Then he collapsed miserably. The sapphires will have to be produced, identified, revalued. How shall I come out of it? Think of the disgrace, the ripping up of old scandals. Even if I were to compound with... Lady Carwitchet, the sum she hinted at was too monstrous. She wants more than my money. Help me, Mr. Acton. For the sake of your own family interest, help me. I beg your pardon? Family interests? I don't understand. If my daughter is childless, her next of kin is poor Marmaduke Panton, who's dying at Cannes, not married or likely to marry, and failing him, your nephew, Sir Thomas Acton, succeeds. My nephew, Tom! Later or later's baby might come to be the possible inheritor of the great Valdez Sapphire. The blood rushed to my head as I looked at the great shining swindle before me. What diabolic jugglery was at work when the exchange was made? I demanded fiercely. It must have been on the last occasion of her wearing the sapphires in London. I ought never to have let her out of my sight. You must put a stop to Miss Panton's marriage in the first place, I pronounced as autocratically as he could have done himself. Not to be thought of, he admitted helplessly. Mira has my force of character. She knows her rights and she will have her jewels. I want you to take charge of the thing for me. If it's in the house, she'll make me produce it. She'll inquire at the bankers. If you have it, we can gain time. If but for a day or two. He broke off. Carriage wheels were crashing on the gravel outside. 
We looked at one another in consternation. Flight was imperative. I hurried him downstairs and out of the conservatory just as the doorbell rang. I think we both lost our heads in the confusion. He shoved the case into my hands and I pocketed it without a thought of the awful responsibility I was incurring and saw him disappeared into the shelter of the friendly night. When I think of what my feelings were that evening, of my murderous hatred of that smirking, jesting Jezebel who sat opposite me at dinner, my wrathful indignation at the thought of the poor little expected heir defrauded ere his birth, of the crushing contempt I felt for myself and the bishop as a pair of witless idiots unable to see our way out of the dilemma. All this boiling and surging through my soul, I can only wonder, Domenico, having given himself a holiday, and the kitchen maid doing her worst and wickedest, that gout or jaundice did not put an end to this story at once. Uncle Paul! Leta was looking her sweetest when she tripped into my room next morning. I've news for you! She, pointing a delicate forefinger in the direction of the corridor, is going. Her bokums have reached Paris at last and sent for her to join them at the Grand Hotel. I was thunderstruck. The longed-for deliverance had but come to remove hopelessly and forever out of my reach Lady Carvichet and the great Valdez Sapphire. Why aren't you overjoyed? I am. We are going to celebrate the event by a dinner party. Tom's hospitable soul is vexed by the lack of entertainment we had provided for her. We must ask the Brownleys some day or other, and they will be delighted to meet anything in the way of a ladyship, or such smart folks as the Doubly Parkers. Then we may as well have the Blomfields, and ere that awful modern Sevray desert service she gave us when we were married. I had no objection to make, and she went on, rubbing her soft cheek against my shoulder like the purring little cat she was. Now I want you to do something to please me and Mrs. Blomfeld. She has set her heart on seeing your rubies, and though I know you hate her about as much as you do, that Severus China. What? Wear my rubies with that? I won't. I'll tell you what I will do, though. I've got some carbuncles as big as prize gooseberries, a whole set. Then you have only to put those bohemian glass vases and candelabra on this table and let your gardener do his worst with his great forced, scentless, vulgar blooms and we shall all be in keeping. Later pouted. An idea struck me. Or I'll do as you wish, on one condition. You get Lady Carvichet to wear her big sapphire and don't tell her I wish it. I lived through the next few days as one in some evil dream. The sapphires, like twin spectres, haunted me day and night. Was ever man so tantalized? To hold the shadow and see the substance dangle temptingly within reach. The bishop made no sign of ridding me of my unwelcome charge, and the thought of what might happen in a case of burglary, fire, earthquake, made me start and tremble at all sorts of inopportune moments. I kept faith with Leta and reluctantly produced my beautiful rubies on the night of a dinner party. Emerging from my room, I came full upon Lady Carvichet in the corridor. She was dressed for dinner 
and at her throat I caught the blue gleam of the great sapphire. Later had kept faith with me. I don't know what I stammered in reply to her ladyship's remarks. My whole soul was absorbed in the contemplation of the intoxicating loveliness of the gem. That a royal deception. Incredible. My fingers twitched, my breath came short and fierce with the lust of possession. She must have seen the covetous glare in my eyes. A look of gratified, spiteful complacency overspread her features as she swept on ahead and descended the stairs before me. I followed her to the drawing-room door. She stopped suddenly and, murmuring something unintelligible, hurried back again. Everybody was assembled there that I'd expected to see with an addition, not a welcome one by the look on Tom's face. He stood on the hearth-rug, conversing with a great, hulking, high-shouldered fellow, sallow-faced, with a heavy moustache and drooping eyelids, from the corners of which flashed out a sudden suspicious look as I approached, which lighted up into a greedy one as it rested on my rubies and seemed unaccountably familiar to me till Lady Carwitchet, tripping past me, exclaimed, He has come at last, my naughty, naughty boy. Mr. Acton, this is my son, Lord Carwitchet. I broke off short in midst of my polite acknowledgments to stare blankly at her. The sapphire was gone. A great gilt cross with a scotch pebble like an acid drop was her sole decoration. I had to put my pendant away, she explained confidentially. The clasp had got broken somehow. I didn't believe a word. Lord Carwitchet contributed little to the general entertainment at dinner, but fell into confidential talk with Mrs. Duberly Parker. I caught a few unintelligible remarks across the table. They referred, I subsequently discovered, to the lady's little book on not church races, and I recollected that the spring meeting was on, and tomorrow, cup day. After dinner, there was great talk about getting up a party to go on General Fairford's drag. Lady Carwitchet was in ecstasies and tried to coax me into joining. Later, declined positively, Tom accepted sulkily. The look in Lord Carwitchet's eye returned to my mind as I locked up my rubies that night. It made him look so like his mother. I went round my fastenings with unusual care. Safe and closets and desks and doors, I tried them all. Coming at last to the bathroom, it opened at once. It was the housemaid's doing. She had evidently taken advantage of my having abandoned the room to give a thorough spring cleaning and I anathematized her. The furniture was all piled together and veiled with sheets. The carpet and felt curtain were gone. There were new brooms about. As I peered around, a voice close at my ear made me jump. Lady Carwitchets. I tell you, I have nothing, not a penny. I shall have to borrow my train fare before I can leave this. They'll be glad enough to lend it. Not only had the portiere been removed, but the door behind it had been unlocked and left open for convenience of dusting behind the wardrobe. I might as well have been in the bedroom. Don't tell me, I recognized Carwitchets' growl. 
You've not been here all this time for nothing. You've been collecting for a Kilburn court or getting subscriptions for the distressed Irish landlords. I know you. Now I'm not going to see myself ruined for the want of a paltry hundred or so. I tell you, the court is dead, certainly. If I could have got a thousand or two on him last week, we might have ended our dog days millionaires. Hand over what you can. Your money's worth, if not money. Where's that sapphire you stole? I didn't. I can show you the receipted bill. All I possess is honestly come by. What could you do with it, even if I gave it to you? You couldn't sell it as the Valdis, and you can't get it cut up as you might if it were real. If it's only bogus, why are you always in such a flutter about it? I'll do something with it, never fear. Hand over. I can't. I haven't got it. I had to raise something on it before I left town. Will you swear it's not in that wardrobe? I dare say you will. I mean to see. Give me those keys. I heard a struggle and a jingle. Then the wardrobe door must have been flung open for a streak of light struck through a crack in the wood of the back. Creeping close and peeping through, I could see an awful sight. Lady Carvichet in a flannel wrapper, minus hair, teeth, complexion, pointing a skinny forefinger that quivered with rage at her son, who was out of the range of my vision. Stop that and throw those keys down here directly or I'll rouse the house. Sir Thomas is a magistrate and will lock you up as soon as look at you. She clutched at the bell rope as she spoke. I'll swear I'm in danger of my life from you and give you in charge. Yes, and when you're in prison, I'll keep you there till you die. I've often thought I'd do it. How about the hotel robberies last summer at Cows, eh? Mightn't the police be grateful for a hint or two? And how about... The keys fell with a crash on the bed, accompanied by some bad language in an apologetic tone, and the door slammed too. I crept, trembling to bed. This new and horrible complication of the situation filled me with dismay. Lord Carvichet's wolfish glance at my rubies took a new meaning. They were safe now. I believed, but the sapphire? If he disbelieved his mother, how long would she be able to keep it from his clutches? That she had some plot of her own of which the bishop would eventually be the victim, I did not doubt. Or why had she not made her bargain with him long ago? But supposing she took fright, lost her head, allowed her son to wrest the jewel from her, or gave consent to its being mutilated, divided. I lay in a cold perspiration till morning. My terrors haunted me all day. They were with me at breakfast time when Lady Carvichet, tripping and smiling, made a last attempt to induce me to accompany her and keep her bad, bad boy from getting among those horrid betting men. They haunted me through the long peaceful day with Leta and the tete-a-tete dinner, but they swarmed around and beset me sorest when sitting alone over my sitting-room fire, I listened for the return of the drag party. I read my newspaper and brewed myself some hot strong drink, but there comes a time of night when no fire can warm and no drink can cheer. The bishop's despairing face kept me company, and his troubles and the wrongs of the future heir took possession of me. Then 
the uncanny noises that make all old houses ghostly during the small hours began to make themselves heard muffled footsteps trod the corridor stopping to listen at every door door latches gently clicked boards creaked unreasonably sounds of stealthy movements came from the locked up bathroom the welcome crash of wheels at last and the sound of the front door bell i could hear lady carwitchet making her shrill adieu to her friends and her steps in the corridor she was softly humming a little song as she approached i heard her unlock her bedroom door before she entered an odd thing to do tom came sleepily stumbling to his room later i put my head out where is lord carwitchet haven't you seen him he left us hours ago not come home eh well he's welcome to stay away i don't want to see more of him tom's brow was dark and his voice surly i gave him to understand as much whatever had happened tom was evidently too disgusted to explain just then i went back to my fire unaccountably relieved and brewed myself another and a stronger brew it warmed me this time but excited me foolishly there must be some way out of the difficulty i felt now as if i could almost see it if i gave my mind to it why suppose there might be no difficulty after all the bishop was a nervous old gentleman he might have been mistaken all through bogarts might have been mistaken i might no i could not have been mistaken or i thought not i fidgeted and fumed and argued with myself till i found i should have no peace of mind without a look at the stone in my possession and i actually went to the safe and took the case out the sapphire certainly looked different by lamplight i sat and stared and all but overpersuaded my better judgment into giving it a verdict bogarts mark i suddenly remembered it i took my magnifier and held the pendant to the light there scratched upon the stone was a greek beta there came a tap on my door and before i could answer the handle turned softly and lord carwitchet stood before me i whipped the case into my dressing gown pocket and stared at him he was not pleasant to look at especially at that time of night he had a dishevelled desperate air his voice was hoarse his red rimmed eyes wild i beg your pardon he began civilly enough i saw your little light burning and thought as we go by the early train tomorrow you might allow me to consult you now on a little business of my mother's his eyes roved about the room was he trying to find the whereabouts of my safe you know a lot about precious stones don't you so my friends are kind enough to say won't you sit down i have unluckily little chance of indulging the taste on my own account was my cautious reply but you've written a book about them and know them when you see them don't you now my mother has given me something and would like you to give a guess at its value perhaps you can put me in the way of disposing of it i certainly can do so if it is worth anything is that it i was in a fever of excitement for i guessed what was clutched in his palm he held out to me the valdez sapphire
how it shone and sparkled like a great blue star. I made myself a deprecating smile as I took it from him, but how dare I call it false to its face? As well accuse the sun in heaven of being a cheap imitation. I faltered and prevaricated feebly. Where was my moral courage? And where was the good, honest, thumping lie that should have aided me? I have the best authority for recognizing this as a very good copy of a famous stone in the possession of the Bishop of North Church. His scowl grew so black that I saw he believed me, and I went on more cheerily. This was manufactured by Johannes Bogatz. I can give you his address, and you can make inquiries yourself by special permission of the then owner, the late Leon Montanaro. Hand it back, he interrupted. His other remarks were outrageous, but satisfactory to hear. But I waved him off. I couldn't give it up. It fascinated me. I toyed with it. I caressed it. I made it display its different tones of colours. I must see the two stones together. I must see it outshine its paltry rival. It was a whimsical frenzy that seized me. I can call it by no other name. Would you like to see the original? Curiously enough, I have it here. The bishop has left it in my charge. The wolfish light flamed up in Karvichit's eyes as I drew forth the case. He laid the valdas down on a sheet of paper and I placed the other, still in its case, beside it. In that moment they looked identical, except for the little loop of sham stones replaced by a plain gold band in the bishop's jewel. Karvichit leaned across the table eagerly. The table gave a lurch, the lamp tottered, crashed over and we were left in semi-darkness. Don't stir! Karvichit shouted. The paraffin is all over the place. He seized my sofa blanket and flung it over the table while I stood helpless. There, that's safe now. Have you candles on the chimney piece? I've got matches. He looked very white and excited as he lit up. Might have been an awkward job with all that burning paraffin running about, he said quite pleasantly. I hope no harm is done. I was lifting the rug with shaking hands. The two stones lay as I had placed them. No, I nearly dropped it back again. It was the stone in the case that had the loop with the three sham sapphires. Karvichet picked the other up hastily. So you say this is rubbish? he asked, his eyes sparkling wickedly and an attempt at mortification in his tone. Utter rubbish, I pronounced with truth and decision, snapping up the case and pocketing it. Lady Carwichet must have known it. How well it's disappointing, isn't it? Goodbye, we shall not meet again. I shook hands with him most cordially. Goodbye, Lord Carwichet. So glad to have met you and your mother. It has been a source of the greatest pleasure, I assure you. I have never seen the Carvichets since. The bishop drove over next day in rather better spirits. Miss Panton had refused the chaplain. It doesn't matter, my lord, I said to him heartily. We've all been under some strange misconception. The stone in your possession is the veritable one. I could swear to that anywhere. The sapphire Lady Carvichet wears is only an excellent imitation. 
and I have seen it with my own eyes, is the one bearing Bogat's mark, the Greek beta.